Hello and welcome to The Planet Today. It is Friday, March 31st, 2023. Here on TPT, we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here once again with producer and co-host Nick Chanusa. Nick, how's it going on the last day of March? It is going pretty well, Maddie. Crazy that we even are here. This month went by absolutely in a flash. Yeah, another another month of TPT. Solid episodes. We did it. <laughs> everyone was an absolute gem. Everyone was in our top 50. Yeah, everyone was in our top 150. And you know how I know that? How's that possible? Because today is episode 150 of The Planet Today. What? How about that? Actually, a really cool, really cool milestone for us. Yeah, seriously. Congratulations to us. Um, you know what? We deserve a beer. Yeah. We, and for that, we should just like Venmo each other enough money to just get like one beer. On deal. Each other. Deal. <laughs> and, you know, we um, we really couldn't have done it without each other. So yeah. thanks to us. Yes. Thank <laughs> you to me. Uh, and to you. <laughs> yeah, I just want to thank myself first and foremost, and you second and five. Most narcissistic <laughs> podcast intro of all time. Yeah, um, on, a, on a more serious note, March has been a crazy month of environmental news. There has been so much going on that I feel like every single week we're saying, hey, we don't even have time to get to this. Um, so we actually have two stories that you might have heard of this week. We're going to push them to next Friday's show. The first being the tornado in Mississippi. Um, you know, our, our thoughts got to all of the people impacted there. It's yeah. truly terrible news that just broke earlier this week. It doesn't do us any good to to go over this until we have more concrete evidence of what is going on there and, and how people are doing. So we're going to talk about that next week and hopefully, hopefully everyone's okay. You know, that's our, that's our first and most important concern there. Yeah. The second story that we're going to go over next week is um, the European Union had banned internal combustion engine cars starting in 2035. Um, Germany recently backed out of that. And that's not great news. Uh, There's a little bit of a caveat, but we'll go over that all next week. So it's not as bad as it sounds, but it's definitely not good news. Yeah. Yeah. And with that, let's get into today's show. for our quick hits for the week. And the first one is by Greg Ikerchi of MSN, who writes, Biden used first veto to save a 401k investment rule. Here's what it does. Last week, President Biden vetoed a U.S. Department of Labor rule that would impact workplace retirement funds, including 401ks. The Trump era regulation took effect in January, and it basically said that retirement funds can't have ESG investing. Biden's veto now says you can have it. You may have it. It doesn't say that you need to have ESG investing. ESG stands for environmental, social, and governance. ESG funds are often called sustainable or impact funds, and they allow investors to put more of their money towards causes they care about. So far, it does not seem like there are enough votes to override the veto, which would require two-thirds of members of the House and Senate to override. The article says 
ESG investing has grown more popular in recent years, occurring against the backdrop of growing political backlash, largely from Republican lawmakers who deride it as woke investing. This was also honestly just a waste of time by the Trump administration because only around 5% of 401k plans even offer ESG funds. Now that it's been vetoed, those 401k funds can continue to offer those investment funds. The Trump rule was put in place with the argument being investment firms are there to make as much money for investors as possible. By factoring in non-monetary values, it would decrease potential returns on investment. The Labor Department in November clarified that employers wouldn't breach their legal duties by considering workers' non-financial preferences in their final fund choice. Accommodating those preferences might encourage more planned participation and boost retirement security, for example, the agency said. Yeah. I mean, my last company that I was at, I had all of my settings set to, you know, the things I care about is where I want my money going for my 401k. Mm -hmm. I can, I can safely say that I didn't have any money going towards Shell. Yeah. Exxon. I said, I don't want any fossil fuels in my 401k portfolio. It's cool that I was able to do that. And, you know, for not to get into this too much, but like for the party of small governance to be complaining about woke investment, like <laughs> shouldn't you be in support of letting the free market decide where we want to put our money? Yeah. <laughs> like this isn't, this isn't Biden come out and saying like, you absolutely need to put a hundred percent of your money into wildlife conservation nonprofits. Like, <laughs> no, it's just saying you have the option if that's something you care about. The, the party that has like literally been built upon like freedom and like a free market is literally trying to like minimize people uh, who want to who want to invest in environmentally friendly companies. It's hysterical to me. It's hysterical. Yeah, it's like the the whole the whole like anytime I hear somebody use the word woke, I'm just like, what do you even talk like? Do you know what you're talking about? Because it seems like yeah. that's just a, a hot buzzword to get people who are like yeah. older and angry even angrier. This original rule from the Trump administration, I said it before, it was a waste of time. Like it did it didn't need to be done. Exactly. This veto, it just opens up more options, man. Like we're not we're not going out forcing anyone to do anything. So like how is that woke investing? <laughs> no, it's it's ridiculous. It's a joke. Yeah. I mean, this is a good story. Like I'm glad we're covering this. I'm glad we're able to say that you can invest in ESG funds as part of your 401k. You can subscribe to woke investment. Um, You have the option. This is all good news. It's just like the analysis and breakdown part of that story for us is like, (laughs) I have, I have nothing of value to contribute other than like, what, what are they standing for on yeah. the other side here? Yeah, I, I have no idea. I can't imagine anyone who is like sternly in the other camp, what their mindset is. It's, it's Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis is in the other camp. If you're listening, Ron, please, please call in. Um, I, I would love to just like pick his brain. What is, what is woke investing to you? <laughs> oh my uh, God. Don't actually call in. I don't want you on the show. <laughs> yeah, we decline him. All right. The next story here is from Yahoo News, where Rosanna Zia writes, scientists uncover startling concentrations of pure DDT along the seafloor off LA coast. Yeah, this is really bad news. Uh, DDT is, I can't really exaggerate when I say 
how extremely harmful and toxic it is to the environment. So it was primarily used in the 1940s and 50s before it got banned in 1972 due to the fact that it doesn't break down and was causing a ton of environmental harm. Um, There was a big problem with DDT softening eagle eggshells so that when mother eagles returned to their nest and went to go roost, they would just pop the eggs. It heavily contributed to the eagle population decline that we saw here in the U.S. before conservation groups were able to help pick those numbers back up. Yeah, I think we had a mini sort about that actually too. I think we did early in like 20, I think in 2021, like first first year of the show, I think we talked about that. Yeah. So David Valentine of UC Santa Barbara said, we still see original DDT on the seafloor from 50, 60, and 70 years ago which tells us that it's not breaking down the way that we once thought it should. And the DDT is spreading away from any dump sites because it's not breaking down. Yeah, and it's also spreading by moving up the food chain. So with DDT-related compounds being continuously found in California condors and local dolphin populations, that means that those smaller animals that are feasting on the seafloor, those bottom feeders, are getting eaten by bigger fish who are getting eaten by California condors, local dolphin populations. Like it just magnifies and works its way up the food chain. Right. DDT is also being linked to an aggressive cancer in sea lions. So this is really just impacting the whole entire ecosystem off of the coast of LA. It's been discovered 3,000 feet underwater in part because of a $5.6 million research boost from Congress with another $5.2 million coming from California and the USC Sea Grant. That funding went towards sonar mapping, uncovering over 70,000 debris-like objects on the seafloor, all containing DDT-related compounds. This article states that biological oceanographers, marine ecologists, and fisheries scientists also started to connect some dots on the various organisms they found living in the contaminated sediment. DDT is only about six centimeters deep when found, so it's really just staying on the seafloor. Yeah, it's just kind of spreading out on the surface, not really barreling into anything, which is crazy to think about because that's where the bottom feeders are on that seafloor. Yeah. So those groups that Nick mentioned all found high levels of DDT, even in the samples that they collected to be controls. In other words, DDT is everywhere that they are looking. The EPA is working on a plan to remove the DDT and DDT-related compounds, but this is why the stories that we've been covering on PFAS are so important. You know, we stopped using DDT in 1972. This is not a case of me and Nick covering this and spreading awareness so that, you know, companies stop using DDT. We stopped 50 years ago. Yeah. So if the companies that are using PFAS, Forever Chemicals, and polyfluoral alkyl substances, that whole umbrella, if they stopped using those tomorrow, if we applied the same numbers that we're applying to DDT here, we will continue to see PFAS in our environment until at least 2074. Just insane. This goes to show you, like the damage we do to the environment is irreversible sometimes. There's literally nothing we can do to break this compound down and you know, removal is not the easiest process. So, you know, we do have to be completely conscious of what we're doing to our, um, to our natural resources. And, you know, if we continue to act with carelessness, we'll just be further down the toilet. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's a reason that a lot of people refer to this period of time as the Anthropocene. I know we've covered that a little bit on the show before, but anthro is human. So anthropology, the study of humans. Anthropocene is the period of time where humans have had the greatest impact on the environment. We are now the dominant, you know, force of nature. It's it's human beings. And this is an example where we're seeing something that we used 50 years ago that had immediate harm. So we banned it after about 20 years of use is still being found 70 years later, yeah, 50 years after the ban. You know, it's, it's scary, man. And that's the sort of stuff we're going to see with, with PFAS. So, you know, it's not something as simple as saying, oh, we should ban this so it's fixed tomorrow. No, it's we should ban this so the recovery period can start. Exactly. Yeah. We can begin the healing. Yep. Our next story is titled Top Lawyers Defy Bar to Declare They Will Not Prosecute Peaceful Climate Protesters by Damien Gale of The Guardian. Anything that I say during this is all alleged. Um, if I give any advice, it's it's me being a podcast host telling a bit. I am not legally responsible for anything that you do with the information we're about to share. <laughs> but quick story out of the UK where more than 120 lawyers signed a pledge not to act for fossil fuel interests. They basically said that as long as protests remain peaceful, protesters will not be prosecuted for standing up against fossil fuels. They also said they wouldn't act for companies pursuing fossil fuel projects. The lawyer said climate change represents a serious risk to the rule of law. The so-called declaration of conscience calls on legal professionals to act urgently to do whatever they can to address the causes and consequences of the climate and ecological crises and to advance a just transition. Hell yeah. If you're in the UK, go stand outside of a bank headquarters that's investing in fossil fuels and just don't let people walk in to do their jobs. <laughs> as long as you remain a peaceful nuisance, you are good. It's like John Lewis said in uh, in the US, it's good trouble, you know, cause good trouble. Yeah. Nothing is going to be convenient about a protest. You know why? Because if it's convenient, people don't care. They care when you handcuff yourself to whatever bank is investing all of their money in Shell and Exxon and BP and, you know, all of those companies that are making a lot of money, but screwing over the rest of us in the process, like you make it more inconvenient for them. And that's when a protest is successful. So again, not legal advice. I'm not liable here, but I'm not going to tell you not to. I want to hire like a guy who has like a really like quick voice and just to just be like, just put a bunch of jargon at the end of this, but like Matt Norton is not responsible for anything. And like, yeah. All right. So let's just close this one out by saying this isn't solely a good story with zero drawbacks. One junior lawyer who wished to remain anonymous in this article said young lawyers are being placed in an impossible position where they're being told by their firms and by regulators that it's a professional obligation to act for fossil fuel projects, um, knowing that doing that is going to poison our future and all life on earth. The lawyer said that it's wrong on every level. It's indefensible. If the profession doesn't look out for my generation, how does it expect to survive? Which is a really good, important question to bring up. Um, you know, it's it's tough that they are saying there's a legal obligation to take cases. Yeah. So 
junior lawyers who want to advance their career are kind of getting stuck. It's dude, it's the, it's the Marshall problem from how I met your mother where he wanted to be an environmental lawyer and then found himself representing the bad guys. Yeah. That's what young lawyers are going to run into. And I, I hope that most firms will stand up for them and say, no, we're not going to take this case. Even if, if we are supposed to, you know, we're going to do the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. We won't even have lawyers if, you know, if we let this get even worse. So, yeah. All right. We're going to take a quick break when we get back. Um, hopefully I'm not in trouble with whatever, whatever investigation is going to happen into me. Matt Norton is not responsible for anything he just said. Uh, Yeah. All right. We're good. We're good. We're good. (laughs) We're going to take a break. We'll be back Two more for you on the way back. Today's episode of The Planet Today is brought to you by Valo Alta. Valo Alta's Everyday Handkerchief is a high-performance, daily-use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the material's historic craftsmanship and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings, from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A.co and code TPT. Welcome back to the planet today, folks. Next up, a 5,000-mile seaweed belt is headed toward Florida by Suman Naishatam of the Associated Press, published in ABC News. All right, you might have heard about the story by now if you're listening. It broke about two weeks ago. Um, But like I said at the start of the show, March has been a crazy month for news, so we pushed this one back a little bit. A 5,000-mile seaweed belt is heading towards Florida and is expected to wash ashore sometime later this year. It's also expected to hit some beaches in the Caribbean Sea and the Yucatan Peninsula. It contains scattered patches of seaweed on the open sea rather than one continuous blob of sargassum. Sargassum is a thick brown algae that carpets beaches and smells like rotten eggs as it decays. It can also entangle humans and animals that step into it. Hotels and resorts have to resort to 24-hour cleaning operations at times to deal with sargassum issues. So this giant blob could be a much bigger deal than some actually realize. Sargassum is unlike other seaweeds in that it reproduces on the ocean surface and originates in the Sargasso Sea within the Atlantic Ocean, which is surrounded by four prevailing ocean currents. Yeah, super interesting. I knew nothing about the Sargasso Sea, but... Yeah, it's basically like these ocean currents all kind of intersect in one spot and it creates a sea within the ocean, which is crazy. Really cool to visualize. Yeah. Um, but that's where this comes from. So, some good news about sargassum is it provides breeding grounds, food, and habitats for fish, sea turtles, and marine birds. And it's not unusual. You know, there have been worse instances of this happening in the past. 
2019, 2021 both saw a great amount of sargassum wash ashore, but 2011 and 2018 saw more than 10 million metric tons wash ashore, which one of those is the record. It's kind of hard to quantify at that point. Yeah. That's that's what we're dealing with. So this is going to be somewhere in that range where it's a lot. It's concerning. It might sound like it's just a nuisance, but it could actually be harmful to human health. That rotten egg smell that Nick mentioned is actually ammonia and hydrogen sulfide being produced as it decomposes. A brief exposure to that is enough to make people sick, but prolonged exposure can be dangerous, according to scientists, especially for people with respiratory issues. Yeah, and this can be an issue for people who are spending hours removing it from beaches, the people who are like working. If people don't remove it, though, it can harm coastal marine ecosystems and promote fecal bacteria growth. Nasty stuff. Yeah, you know, when I read this headline, I was like, oh, okay, that sounds like a lot, 5,000 miles of seaweed, that's pretty wild. But then I actually read it and I was like, damn, this this is a really big deal where it has a huge impact on, you know, people, if resorts and and hotels are going to want people to rent their beachfront rooms, they're going to have to clean this up, which means people are going to be spending a lot of time around this decaying seaweed that's releasing ammonia. Yeah. You know, it's, it's going to get people sick and that's, that's a huge problem. And it's also, you know, the animals around it. So even if you're not motivated by like, beachfront property, you know, let's say that you think it's, it's wasteful or whatever. Sure. But there's animals that are going to be on those beaches that are impacted by ammonia or by hydrogen sulfide. Like it, it needs to get cleaned up. So yeah, it sounds like a silly headline. And then you look into it and you're like, this is, this is a big deal. We're going to, we're going to keep an eye on it, you know, as it gets closer to the shore, as it starts to wash ashore, like we'll talk about it here. If anything, anything major comes out of this, but hopefully it's not as bad as we think. Yeah, this has major impacts. Like for the people who are going to have to work and and remove it, like we said, um, it's also going to damage Florida's tourism or wherever it moves to next, um, their tourism. And we have this thing in Newport and it's called Red Tide. Yeah. And that's like completely not harmful. It's just kind of a nuisance. It's like you come out of the water and you're just like covered in red stuff. It's weird. It's just algae, uh, right? Yeah, it's just basically algae. But this stuff is like actually dangerous. So you definitely, before you go in the water, you know, maybe ask some locals, uh, you know, is this just red tide or is this sargassum? Like what's what's the deal here? Because it can be very, um, very dangerous stuff. Yeah, and, and fact check this before you you do anything here. I think it only starts to decay and decompose as it washes ashore. Gotcha. That would make more sense. So if it's in the water, you know, be aware. If it's on the beach, like that's when you need to try to walk a hundred yards west and get away from it or whatever. Like, yeah, yeah. It's not going to get you sick if you see it. But if you're setting up your, your beach towel, you know, 10 feet away from it, like probably not the best move. Nick and I aren't doctors in the same sense <laughs> that like the last story Nothing that I said was liable to get me in trouble. Nothing we say here is liable to keep you healthy. So just like take this with a grain of salt. We are telling you about about seaweed. That's all we know here. Yeah. Consult your doctor before taking Lipitor. Before before swimming in sargassum. (laughs) 
Yeah. All right. Let's move on to something where we actually know what we're talking about. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> All right. So our last quick hit of the week is by Elena Shao, Mira Royanasakul, and Nadia Popovich of the New York Times. They write, a very wet winter has eased California's drought, but water woes remain. California saw heavy rain and snowfall this winter, which exacerbated an already wet season. This has started to ease the state's drought, which is the driest three-year stretch ever recorded for California. The precipitation flooded highways, broke levees, and knocked out power for tens of thousands of Californians. So it's not something where we can just go thinking, oh, wow, it is great that the state got so much rain. It did cause a lot of problems as well. But it also replenished reservoirs and built up snowpack, which have helped to lessen drought conditions. In the short term, this is great news. But in the long term, concerns are still there for a state facing rising temperatures, unsustainable water usage, and soil desertification. California usually goes through wet and dry cycles, with most of its precipitation coming during the late fall and winter, and long periods in the spring and summer without any rain. Because of that, the state's water infrastructure is designed to store water from the wet season for use in the dry periods. With weather extremes becoming greater, it becomes harder for California to store enough water to use during its dry spells. Like Nick said earlier, the state is getting warmer. Warmer air carries more moisture, so atmospheric rivers can carry more precipitation with them. This winter, so much snow fell in Sierra Nevada that some Californians were stranded on the roads and in their homes. Average snowpack was more than three times as high this week as they were the same time in each of the last three years, according to the authors of this report. And more snowpack is good for the state's water system. Snow helps preserve reservoir levels into the spring and summer. The authors write that snowpack is responsible for around 30% of the state's water supply. Quickly warming temperatures can throw off that water supply by having too much snow melt at once. California's historic snowpack this year, coupled with increased soil moisture, is heightening the potential for spring floods, said Ed Clark, director of NOAA's National Water Center, in a press release. So the moral of the story here is that this is short-term good news, but we can't throw a drought is over in California party anytime soon. Yeah. Things are looking better for now, but the water in the reservoirs might not last as long as we're hoping. Um, it's also important to remember that, yeah, things look better drought-wise, but there was a lot of destruction caused that got us to this point. So kind of just emphasizes the title of the article, Water Woes Remain. Yeah, I mean, California is the land of extremes. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're not going to have anything that it's just like in the middle because they're not used to the rain and the soil can't absorb any water. And you have either wildfires or you have mudslides mm-hmm. and there's like no in between. I know that's very like just depressing, but it's just kind of like the way things are. It's just, it's just going to get worse with climate change too. I mean, like if that's the land of extremes now, imagine when we have this entire global weather system, that's going to make extremes more extreme. Yeah. So that's why we need to care about climate change. And for someone out there who's like, I don't live in California I live in insert state on the other side of the country. Ohio. Sure. I live in Ohio. Why should I care about California? Well, it's probably important to remember that California has the largest GDP of any state in the U.S. Yeah. So if California fails, like federal money system, not looking as good. (laughs) Yeah. People forget that we get like almost all of our food from California. 
Yeah. Like literally an insane amount of food. I think it might be something as high as like 50 to 60%. I wouldn't doubt it. I don't know. I don't know off the top of my head, but it's, I know it's high. You know where most of our chickens come from? I don't know. The great state of Delaware. Oh, nice, dude. Yeah. Poultry capital of the U.S. There's more chickens than people in the state. That's insane. Yeah, so I got my numbers a little wrong um, on that 60%, but California is the world's fifth biggest provider of food. That's including every country in the entire world. Yeah, and I just blindly trusted you because that's what we do on this show. We, we support each other and then we fact check after. So here's your fact check. That's it for today's show. <laughs> we'll be back on Monday for this month's Monday mini-sode to kick off April. Until then, go give the show a five-star rating and review wherever you can. Follow our socials at Planet Today Pod. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Norton. Nick Shanusa produces our show and makes all the music you hear throughout it. Nick, where can people hear more of your stuff? You can hear more from me at soundcloud.com slash Cape, and that is B-U-D-L-Y-N-C-A-P-E. Go check me out, y'all. Our logo is made by Kaylee Vietz. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we will catch you right here on Monday. Peace.